Hey everybody, so I'm here with my friend Tony. Um, we used to worship together at one of my favorite churches here in the Charlotte area. And um, before we get started, Tony, I was wondering if you could just tell everyone a little bit about you. Hello everyone, uh, my name is Tony Granados and I am uh, a local real estate agent in the area of uh, Charlotte and surrounding. Um, I was, before that, I was a nurse for 20 years and I have been married now for going on 25 years next year. And quarter of a century. Yes, I know. (laughs) Quarter of a century is a big deal. So I want a big celebration. Um, and then I have three children. Cool. Um, so I don't know if you know this, but I've actually been wanting to, interview you about this topic for a really long time one of my first interviews with was actually with someone um who kind of had like a miscarriage around the time that they were trying and stuff oh so i know a bit about your story but i was wondering if you could just start from the beginning like did you know that infertility was going to be a struggle or just that no. whole thing. No. Um, and it's really interesting because the other day I was telling this the story to someone and I, it gave me kind of even a newer perspective. But when you try to do everything the way you're supposed to, you think it's just going to work, right? Yeah. Well, it mm-hmm. still all depends on God. Everything always depends on God. And so I learned that in the process and just thinking on that the other day. But you get, I got married really young. Uh, I was 19, two weeks from turning 19 when I got married. So really young. um, We, I took birth control for like the first, I would say nine months of my relationship. And then we were like, he was working steady. I was working. I finished school and I said, okay, well, let's try to have a baby because I want to have him young. I don't want to be old (laughs) while my kids are still graduating college or high school. And uh, boy, did that change. Um, Anyway, so we end up starting to try at about a year, actively trying to get pregnant. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. I mean, five years go by. Nothing has happened. And we start to ask questions. And of course, the pressure among us is like, why haven't you guys had kids yet? Oh, God. Five years, a Latino couple that doesn't have kids within the first two years of being married is like, are you, what's going on? You know, it's like a rare specimen. (laughs) And um, so we decide to go to fertility. Um, We seek treatment. We had to go through testing. uh, And and in that process, it was discovered that I had some issues that were uh, preventing me from getting pregnant. So we did all the process the way they said we were going to do it. I end up getting pregnant with fertility help the first time with four babies, four embryos. Um, The first time I'm pregnant, we couldn't believe it. We were here looking at four kids' strollers. We were looking at how we were going to change our whole life, four four of everything. So that lasted about a month before I started having complications. Um, The first one had a low heartbeat. He, he passes away, or he or she, I never knew their sexes, um, passes away pretty early on in the pregnancy. So then I'm left with three. And then as it turns out, long story short, I start losing one after the other mm-hmm. until I lose the last two. The last two, and it was a traumatic experience, um, the last two that were remaining, 15 weeks they were, I got to, 15 weeks. So they were pretty well-developed, well-formed 
And I go into all all in labor, wow. all in labor, pains, oh everything. Had to go to the emergency room and deliver my twins at 15 weeks. Oh my Most traumatic experience of my life, and I would never want anyone to go through that. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was just terrible, terrible. Um, so that's that's a lot. Yeah. That uh, that first five years that you mentioned, like around the time where you were trying but not quite sure mm-hmm. like how how are you doing how was your marriage doing how did you go to god with that or was it at, at that point we felt really strong in our faith we we're really involved in church um and i always for the life of my christian my christian walk i've been involved in church so we would just we would take on more stuff and we would do more stuff for the kingdom and just stay busy um, in the church, but at that point, it hadn't really gotten to me because we were so young, mm-hmm. and we were like, "Let's just travel, let's mm-hmm. just do this." And so we would up and go. We take weekend getaways wherever we could, and we enjoyed each other. Okay. And our thought in that moment, and we we've always talked a lot to each other. So we said, "We'll enjoy the time before we have kids, and then we know that when they come, we'll just be kind of still. <laughs> and we're still not still, but you know." Uh, we, we got a lot of traveling yeah. under our belts in that time. So okay. we did we did enjoy each other. We've always enjoyed each other's company. So Okay. Just, and then um, you mentioned the process of in vitro, right? I didn't get to in vitro. We did in artificial insemination, several rounds, like three. And then I did um, injections, which the injections were what got me pregnant. Okay. The insemination did not work for us. And we did several trials, tries of that. Wow. Mm-hmm. So um, that, which you can let me know if you feel comfortable kind of going into that, but that experience you had um, kind of going through one loss after another back to back and then finally delivering two babies that yeah. you didn't get to keep, like what was... What was that emotional, spiritual Ooh. process like? That that broke me. That broke me. Um, it changed, I think, forever who I am. And it changed my husband. Um, he, it was one of the times that I have seen him in our marriage. He's pretty strong. But when he cries like a baby, <laughs> you can't I, can't. I couldn't hold oh it together. Gosh. I couldn't hold it together. And he's talking to his mom and he calls his mom. His mom has been a huge, huge support for us our whole life. She's a fantastic woman of God. She's always praying over us, blessing us. And she's just wonderful. I love her. And uh, at that moment, he's in the emergency room and he calls her. And it was that I just, I couldn't. That broke me forever. And I think it just helped me realize how dependent we are on God and how we could try so much with our own strength to do things that we think are so easy for some. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not up to me. Mm-hmm. Nothing that goes on, and I have learned this in my life, nothing that goes on in my life is up to me. Mm-hmm. It is totally up to God. And as long as I surrender it to him, then I will walk in whatever blessing he has me. He has for me. Mm-hmm. But I have to surrender. I have to be like, I cannot do this on my yeah. own. I cannot move this mountain. I cannot make this happen. Mm. No matter how normal it is for some people. Some people mm. look at each other and get pregnant. You know what I mean? It's, 
It's insane. I have some of the most fertile friends. My that... sister got pregnant twice on accident. I'm like, how? I just how? on birth control. <laughs> Literally on birth control, I have met products of, of couples that are so fertile that she got pregnant on birth control. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how does that happen? Yeah. I didn't use birth control my whole marriage. Yeah, I've been thinking about just that it's kind of left field, but similar to that theme, like just about how little control we actually have and how almost inherently we have expectations of what things should look like. Like so true. at this age, I should be at this point. My so marriage true. should look like this. So true. Having kids should look like this. Ministry should look like this. Yes. And it's just. Hundred percent, and I think the external forces that are pressures around us, mm-hmm. especially in the Latino community. Good God, yeah. if you're not married by <laughs> twenty, you're yeah. some sort of nun. I mean, it is. It's really. It's insane. The pressure in. I. I feel like more in the Latino community because mm-hmm. they're not as understanding as you know. Where times are changing, things are different. The environment is different. The dating world is different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that are happy being just single mm-hmm. and they're okay with that. But, yeah. but this, this Latino community pressure, yeah. why are you single? Why are you single? Where are you going to yeah. get and old? We're not going to have kids. When are you going to have kids? It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So that process of grieving. Yes. What advice would you because you said you were 15 weeks at that point? I was 15 weeks when I uh, delivered the two babies in the emergency room, yes. So what advice would you give someone who might have dealt with that? You need time. You need to give yourself time. Allow yourself time to heal. And this, for me, involved... I did not go to church for four weeks. Like, I wanted my time. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew people would say things. I knew people, not sometimes the brightest mm-hmm. and not t- sometimes the most timely comments. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was expecting that already because I knew my audience. So um, I really did not want to go back for a little bit. I wanted to take a break from my circles and I wanted to give myself my private time with my husband to heal. He stayed with me um, pretty that. much. Yes, he stayed with me. He, he, he didn't know what to do. But he said, at least we're in it together. And, and I'm here and we'll, we'll get through it together. And that for me at that point was all, all I could ask for. I couldn't ask for more. But I did a lot of crying. I'm on my bedroom floor. I did a lot of crying. I did a lot of praying. Um, How and, did you pray? What did you pray? <sighs> that's hard. Cause I feel like that's the hardest part. Because they always taught you, don't ever ask God why. And it was the only thing I could do. The only thing I could do. Um, why did this happen? Why did I get pregnant and then lose them in such a way? Mm-hmm. It, was, it was really hard. Mm-hmm. But I prayed and I prayed. I always knew that he knew me. He knew my heart. He knew how I was going to come before him. He knew the thoughts that were going through my mind and the doubts. And I think being, being transparent with God just has to be part of that relationship with him. 100%. You have to be real. When it's not going well, God, this is not working out. Mm-hmm. When it is going great, you celebrate that with him. But I think he knew I was going to be like, why did this happen <laughs> to me? But I did learn in all this process that sometimes you're not going to understand why. 
as long as you know and trust that he is walking it with you. And I was not alone. Um, that was the, the biggest lesson, I think, in all this that I learned okay. um, in how to pray to him. But I did, I did ask why. And I don't think that God gets offended if we ask why. Because we're with our little tiny human mind trying to understand <laughs> this gigantic person who mm -hmm. operates outside of our time and space. Mm -hmm. And he's going to know that we don't understand a lot of things. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, I worked in a, a neonatal intensive care unit. I would go back to work and I would see, you know, I saw a little girl, 12 years old, who got pregnant with natural twins. And she delivered them in the NICU. And I have never forgotten that story because I had just lost mine. Wow. So it's like, it's hard not to compare your life, mm -hmm. but I also learned that my journey is for me to walk. Yeah. How do you protect your heart like with that kind of stuff, like looking around and seeing? I prayed a lot. <laughs> I prayed a lot. I read the word a lot. And I tried to listen to um, things that would bless me. Because I knew that if I allowed that doubt to just take over and that comparison and that why her, not me mm -hmm. thing, that would take me to a dark place. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I've always been protective of, I cannot go down that route. Mm -hmm. And so I have to talk to myself mm -hmm. and be like, hold on, get Were it together. Were you always like that? Huh? Were you always like that? Uh, I've always talked to myself. That's yeah. Good. I've always That's talked to myself. That's a really big discipline. Yes. I, I have to. Because I know, I know my thoughts, my mind, and, and it comes with self-awareness. You have to be totally self-aware of yeah. what could take you down the dark road. Now, I will tell you, after I lost the second and third pregnancy, I did go down the dark road. And I let myself go down that dark road. Was that during that process or after? That was after my, after my actually after my second loss. After my second loss. Oh. And doctors want to give me all kinds of antidepressants and all kinds of anti-this and anti-anxiety. We'll I didn't want to take anything. I, I've never been, um, like, I've always been afraid of that. You know, I just, you know how they kind of teach you and don't do that and don't do this. And so you take those um, preconceived notions into whatever it is that you're going. Okay, so really quick, just to clarify. So you had, you had that one pregnancy where you had four. Correct. And, and I got pregnant. Second and third. Correct pregnancies. Second pregnancy was a single baby. Okay. It was ectopic. It was implanted on my cervix. Mm. When I am in the hospital for a cervical implantation, they had to give me chemotherapy. I was there for a week. Oh my gosh. I needed a blood transfusion. I mean, traumatic experiences. Wow. And then they told me we might have to take your uterus. Oh, Lord. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, how do you even? Yeah. So my biggest struggle after that particular incident was not feeling like a woman. Mm. Like I couldn't deliver for my husband, and I couldn't deliver for our house, and I couldn't deliver. I couldn't make a baby. I couldn't make it and hold it. And so it just screws you up identity-wise, big time. I noticed the way that... The language changed there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It screws you up identity-wise, big time. I'm not a proper woman. I can't do the things a woman can do. Um, oh, my God. I went into a spiral of a very bad um, self, uh, what is it, self-confidence or self-esteem. Self-esteem self was really low at that point. How old were you at that point? Oh, my gosh. That was, I was like 20... 
And then what happened with the third? So after I go through my dark moment and there our marriage, I felt like was in a little bit of trouble because of how I was feeling. I was shutting him out. Um, I, I closed off to everything and everyone around me. And I was just really all about in my feelings and in my self-esteem and I'm no good and I'm this and I'm that. Like I just, I went into that, that circle. Um, we managed to go through a really rough time and then we sought help and we got better. Um, and I felt better. And then after that, in 2009, was the last time that um, I got pregnant. Got pregnant again. We go back to fertility. I get pregnant with twins. Eight, nine weeks. That's a lot. That's a Girl, lot. emotional roller coaster. Oh, the beginning of my whole life as a married person. Wow. Emotional roller coaster. So, eight, nine weeks, and then I just start bleeding. And it's not till after I lose that third pregnancy that my OBGYN decides to do a test on me to see um, what's wrong with my cervix. And she finds that my cervix was permanently dilated. So anytime I got pregnant, it was just going to come out because mm -hmm. my cervix is not tight, closed like it should be. So she did a surgery on me um, in, I believe it was late 2000, mid 2009. Uh, or 2010 early she did a surgery on me where she stitches she puts a stitch and no other like there weren't other doctors in charlotte doing this particular procedure, procedure. um because it has its risks but she literally stitched my cervix shut and she said if you get pregnant the only thing is you will never be able to deliver a baby vaginally you'll have to have a c-section And so um, I said, if it's going to allow me to be a mom, just do it. Uh, I'm fine with it. So she did it. And then everything changed because 2011 came. And that's where my adopted son comes in the picture, literally sent from heaven. And then everything changes. I don't know if you want to get there yet. but um, I'm excited to get there. <laughs> okay, more questions about the hard parts really quick. Um, It sounded like you were kind of wrestling with a bit of depression. Yeah. So how how did you walk out of that or walk through that? Mm -hmm. It took a lot of uh, leaning and, and really talking about difficult subjects with my husband. Um, and I mean, he really, one thing my husband has taught me is what forgiveness looks like mm -hmm. because... He just, when he says, I'm going to forgive, he does it just like Jesus does it with us. And so it's just, for me, it's been an example of Christ's love mm -hmm. for the church. Mm -hmm. And I always admire that about him. If he says, I'm going to forgive it and forget, he's not going to go back. Okay. And so even though I may have hurt him during that time, he, he was such an amazing example of forgiveness that it gave me... Um, It gave me a lot of motivation mm -hmm. to just kind of be better mm -hmm. for him because he deserved better. And, and really, he was a big player mm -hmm. in, in why I came out of that. Because I said, I can't, I can't, I can't do this to him. He doesn't deserve that. Mm -hmm. and, it's not, and I see where I'm going. Again, being that self-awareness, reflecting. 
on how I'm treating him, how I was being with him. Um, and he just didn't deserve it. And so he was going out of his way to make me happy and make me feel good and not hurt my feelings. And, and even in the darkest of moments where we may have been hurt by each other, we, we never wanted to say things that we couldn't take back. Mm -hmm. And that's a really smart point. I mean, I, we have, that really has kept us together because boy, have I been angry at him. (laughs) Boy, has he been angry at me. Mm-hmm. But we have never wanted to hurt each other with words. Mm-hmm. And so we're very careful about how we talk to each other, even in the most angriest mm-hmm. moments. Um, because every couple goes through anger mm-hmm. moments and when they don't, they're not happy with that person they're looking at. But if you say the words, you can't ever take them back. Mm-hmm. And once you say them, they hurt. Yeah. They hurt big time. Way worse than anything physical mm-hmm. ever. That is for sure. Yeah. Um, and that's something I feel like a lot of people kind of, they take for granted the way that they talk to their significant other. Seriously. Especially in this culture. They're very in this culture, reckless. It's too much. It's too much. I, I don't know how couples can live and swearing at each other on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I don't know it's because it would, you would lie to yourself if you, if you say that that doesn't hurt mm-hmm. because it does, mm-hmm. that doesn't emulate a love that I want to be involved mm-hmm. in. Yeah, because it's not. I have very high expectations of love. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, we have the best example. Yeah. We have Jesus. We have <laughs> Song of Solomon. Like, yeah. come on, you know? That is some high expectation of love right there. Yeah. And, and it, it should be. I mean, I feel like I'm so grateful to say this and, and humbled at the same time, but at my 24th, going on 25th year... I feel like we are the best we have ever been. That's awesome. And it's just because, I mean, we value each other as parents now. So it's a different role and we see each other in that role and we love it. And so it just makes you fall more in love with that person. And then when you're together and you go out on your date nights, it's like, whoo. I mean, he will bring down the stars if he has to. Yeah. Now I'm interested in talking about marriage with you because that sounds... You guys actually do date night. That's oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> Just did one two Fridays ago. <laughs> Literally, he, he finds a babysitter. He books the restaurant. Most times. Sometimes I want a specific place. But he, he does it all. I mean, and then he's... I mean, he's just gotten, and he's grown like that. So that's the thing. He didn't start out being a super romantic person. And I used to always tell him, you know, your romantic bone is not really all there. <laughs> and the other day I told him, wow, it took 24 years. 24 and look at, look at your romanticism. Just, I mean, but you got to stick with it. You got to stick with it. And sometimes I feel like in this culture, we're too quickly to just throw in the towel. We don't, we don't grow with them. We don't let them change with us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always in a process of growing. And yeah. so we got to love people through the faults. I love that. Yep. Um, okay, two questions just about that process. Yes. What are, if there's multiple, you can say them, but what are some of the key um, things that friends or family did that supported you best, if any? So that's hard. Okay. Um, my mom was old school. So she acted like the victim of the whole thing was her. Oh, goodness. Not me. So that was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, 
a lot of people around us didn't really always say the right words. So if I was to give a word of advice, it has to be surround yourself with people that are going to pour into you when you need it. Because I needed the group of friends that I have right now. I needed them then. Mm-hmm. And I did not have them. What would, what would, what would you have needed then? Friends that are gonna that are gonna pour into me, and tell me that it, it you know that 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 didn't define that my situation didn't define me, that it didn't take away from my value as a woman, um, that you know it was okay that what I was going through was okay that I didn't have some expectation to fill because I really thought that I wasn't meeting mm-hmm. that expectation. And then. Um... You're dealing with all this stuff while continuing on with your life, working, working, going to church, going to church. Yep. I never left the church um, for like an extended period of time. I was always there. I, I would just take periodic breaks after the situations happened mm-hmm. um, to, grieve. To, to grieve, to have my moment. And then I can build up enough strength to go deal with whatever everybody was going to come tell me. How, how did you do that like how did you find the strength to deal with what you were dealing with like did you have to compartmentalize or I think I did that as a defense mechanism I think I compartmentalized a lot of things um maybe subconsciously mm-hmm. I've just I've, I've been a strong person my whole life I've dealt with a lot of stuff since I was little so um I really don't know other than just praying and, and, and being in the word, like specific that something happened that helped me. Not that I can recall other than I just, it was a determined, the talking to myself, you got to go to church. You got to face everybody. Just brush it off. Whatever they say, doesn't matter. Just brush it off. Cause I can't even begin to tell you some of the comments that people would say. And so I just had to, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not yeah. doing it. Not me. That could be its own thing. What not to say. What not to say. Oh yeah. hundred <sighs> um, percent. Okay. So that is four pregnancies, right? Uh, three pregnancies, seven babies. Okay. Three pregnancies and seven babies. So what led you to consider adoption? So... 2011 rolls around. Um, Carlos and I are at a lunch date. Um, he came to pick me up at the hospital and I would go have lunch with him. And, um, and we were talking and we said he was tired. He was tired of seeing me hurt and in the hospital and in pain and going through everything I went through. And he said, I don't, I don't want to go back to the fertility clinic anymore. And I said, okay. Um, and I said, so are we thinking about adoption? And he said, I think I'm ready for that. I'm ready to, to look into that. And so our plan was, our plan was to start in January of 2012 to start the process and the paperwork of adoption. Well, really quick, were you agreed with him when he... Oh, I had always wanted to adopt. Okay. I always, because I was adopted by my grandparents. Oh. So my biological parents did not raise me. So um, my grand, my paternal grandparents took custody of me when I was uh, about four. Mm-hmm. So I was raised by them. So I had always wanted to adopt because I figured what would be of me if they had not taken me, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was always in the back of my head to adopt. Um, but he wasn't ready. He wanted his own, you know, mm-hmm. blood child. 
And um, when we went through all of this, he finally came to that realization in, um, in 2011. And then this was about summer of 2011. And then 20 December of that same year, I was finishing up my bachelor's degree in nursing. So I was full-time in school. See, I would always occupy my mind. If I kept my mind occupied, I didn't have uh, the excess stuff to think about, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, mean, I that works. That's a really good... Submerged myself <laughs> in BSN courses for a year and did full-time school, full-time work, church, wow. wife, just submitted myself in that. It was due to be done December of 2011. And I get I was at work, and um, my boss... I'm going to really condense the story, but my boss calls me into the office and she uh, says, do you want to take a baby home? And I was like, um, what do you mean take a baby home? Because oh my gosh. how does that work? Like, mm -hmm. what do you mean? Yeah. And she said, well, there's a baby ready to go home who's, uh, who's custody of the state. So the state took the custody from the mom mm -hmm. and the mom has no available, ready, willing, and able kin to take the child. And she specifically requested if there was a nurse that would take oh the baby home because she didn't want her child to be in the general foster system. Mm -hmm. So she had enough, it, it, that was all God, but she had enough um, well sound mind mm -hmm. that she said, I want a nurse to take the baby. I don't want the baby to go into the regular foster system. Wow. And so that gives my boss the ability to come recruit someone to take this child home. We had never been to a foster class. Most people know the foster parenting system takes about two years to become certified as a foster parent. Never done any of that. My husband didn't even know CPR. None of that. Wow. Um, that was on Tuesday, December 6th. On, they made me go home that day because the social worker was gonna be at my house at four o'clock for a home study. Wow, you remember the day? Oh, day. this was huge, this is life changing. <laughs> Um, four o'clock, she's there with a, a, a home study. We had no baby things. We just had an extra room, yeah. but we had no baby things in it. Absolutely nothing. Um, Wednesday, I go to Facebook and I say, friends, family, <laughs> I need help. I need to equip this house in 24 hours for a baby because I might be bringing a baby home tomorrow. Yeah. And I mean, it rained. I had everything <laughs> from a crib to a stroller to a car seat to everything. And then I had a whole closet full of clothes. Oh, my God. In 24 awesome. hours, Ashley, when I say God said it and it's going to happen, this is the moment. Mm. And I stuck with it. And I think that's the important thing is I, I stuck with it. And I, I feel like I really saw that, that reward mm. for just hanging in there. And it's so much greater than if I would have dissolved my marriage or I would have left my husband just because I couldn't deal with my own insecurities. I would never have walked into this amazing life that he's given me now mm -hmm. because I would have walked away too soon. Wow. I'm sorry. I feel like I just had to Ooh. process that. That's really good. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's, it's the stick with it, mm -hmm. stick with it, stick with that, that covenant, you know, it, it's, it's sticky and it's money, but if you stick with it, I know that there's such a reward in it, mm -hmm. such a reward. And it's just so powerful for you to say, like, to be on the other end of that and say that knowing exactly what that whole process entailed. Yes. Like probably easier said than done, but you did it. Yes. Yeah. And I'm grateful I did. Mm -hmm. grateful I did every day 
And so that translates into my worship. It translates into everything now that I do because it's that place of, um, and I actually spoke about this on last Tuesday, um, just that place of gratitude, just realizing who he is and, and, and what he's done in the grand scheme of everything is just like, man, I'm so grateful. Yeah. So grateful. None of this is my doing. This is all him. Yeah. So I've been, um, I think I, I forgot which I've been doing a lot of writing the last couple of days. Um, and I was encouraging like, cause we're at the point now where you, you haven't necessarily carried your own child yet. Correct. But you did start the process of adoption stuff. So like praying, like encouraging people to pray because prayer is powerful and prayer can make a difference, but also just allowing prayer to be a space where God can walk with you through that is such a rewarding thing. Like just being able to be led is... You know what my prayer was during that time? What? It wasn't very deep, <laughs> but it was like, it was like Anna, right? Mm-hmm. How she went to the, to just, and people thought she was crazy. Mm-hmm. I would cry out to God, God, let, let someone just leave a baby at my door. I'll take wow. them. Let someone just leave a baby at my door. I just want to be a mom. Wow. And Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. I literally prayed like that. And I feel like my, my son mm-hmm. was that baby that was brought to me. For sure. And 100%. I mean, it that's was insane. That, if that's not an answered prayer, yeah. I don't know what is. Wow. Okay. So what was that like? All of a sudden, like, cause you guys became parents and less. Literally. So we, December 6, 7, 8, 8 were take. they had a baby shower for me at the hospital <laughs> two days later. I mean, I can't even tell you the amount of blessing, but, um, Thursday, that Thursday around noon, we're taking the baby home. Certified foster parents in 24 hours. We're taking a child home and Carlos said, he, he, he had a serious conversation with me. He said, do you think the parents will take him back? And I, I said, I and I said, in my faith, at that moment, something just came out of me. And I said, God knows that I've lost too much. He's not going to allow me to take this baby home and lose him too. So I'm not, I'm not believing that. I'm believing that he will be ours. A hundred percent ours. Um, 30 days later, parents are signing over total paternal rights. The state pays for the adoption. I paid $100 to change his name. Wow. That's it. His whole legal adoption cost me $100. Wow. And so he is officially 100% mine with a new social security, a new identity from what his original birth certificate looked like. And we are the parents on his birth certificate. Wow. He was two months old. He weighed eight pounds when we took him home. So what... Um was there like something unique about um like having to raise him um like, he he came he started a little rocky because she used the mater- the mom used substances while she was pregnant so they told us you know get him all the developmental screenings and so all of this was paid for by the state so whatever i needed oh, wow. to take him to i took him to that's awesome any kind of developmental screening any kind of um 
you know, uh, behavioral things, anything. Okay, so you just had to be like monitor. I just had to monitor everything and take him as he. So he did a little speech therapy when he was about four and he did a little occupational therapy. And the biggest thing they told me was structure and things like that mm-hmm. to keep him in a normal function. But he does have ADHD now. Um, we discovered that in second grade and, and we do a daily medication for that. But he's great. He's great. He's active. He's wild. He's insane sometimes how much energy he has. Oh but, my gosh, my daughter. I mean. 24-7. Morning to evening. Yeah. But he's, <laughs> he's wonderful. And my blonde hair, blue eyed child who eats tacos and uh, <laughs> loves tacos de carne asada. And he will try to speak Spanish whenever he can. Oh, I love that. And in a totally Latino home. <laughs> Okay, so tell me the rest of the story. All right, so he, he's ours. 30 days after uh, we... Actually, no, we find out we're keeping him at 30 days. And then I start feeling bad. Like, I start feeling weird mm. physically. And my breasts start to hurt. And I started having all these weird symptoms. So I'm like... Me and Carlos just look each other. We we had we had such a connection on communication <laughs> that we would just look at each other and we we knew what we were thinking. Wow! And I said, "Well, I'm gonna do a pregnancy test." And sure enough, I was pregnant a month and a half after wow. I took Eli home, naturally pregnant, which I had not been naturally pregnant my whole 14 years of marriage before that. So. Naturally pregnant, naturally freaked out <laughs> because <laughs> no. I was scared, Yeah, you know? Um, but this was after I had had that surgery too. So I was like, no, we're okay. We're going to be good. Literally, you start walking in that and there comes my daughter. A year later, on the same birthday that my adopted son has, he's turning one. We're celebrating in the, in the hospital that my baby girl had just been born. They have the same birthday a year apart. That's so cool. I mean, God wow. has, God's got <laughs> jokes, let me tell you. Two, a year and a half later, I find out I'm pregnant with the third one. And his due date was their birthday. Wow. that's crazy. The third one. That's really crazy. What are the chances? I'm curious about their birthdays. <laughs> oh, October 4. Okay. October 4. So that was uh, Eli's original birthday. And then um, it comes a year later, Estela's born, so they're exactly one year apart mm-hmm. on October 4. And then Carlos comes, and the only reason he wasn't born on October 4 was because that was a weekend. <laughs> and my surgeon, my OB, was there on the Monday before. So five days before, he comes on September 29th. So all my birthdays for the year are in that one week. Wow. Yeah. That's like, that's a whole party at your that, house. That is, that's insane. <laughs> it's a weekend of parties. This year, they all want individual birthday parties. So I am planning currently, actively, three different parties wow. for the children. I can, <laughs> uh, I can, I mean, as a mom, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. But my sister and I were like two days apart on the 12th, she's the 14th. I get it. Yeah. They're old enough to care about that now. They are. That's a thing. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's see. Um, what is what is the biggest or what's the best encouragement you can give 
to two kinds of women. One who doesn't get to realize like that dream of having her own baby and um one who's like maybe holding on to a promise or something that God said. Yes. So the first one. Um I felt that way after the losing the third pregnancy. Um I felt like it just wasn't in the cards for me. And that we just were going to have to be okay with not having kids. Um, I came to that thought process. I, I processed that specifically. And I went to God and said, you know what, God, if you don't give me kids, I'm still going to love you. When I made that, I feel like that was a turning point for me. When I made that acceptance, I just said, God, I love you more than having kids. And if you can put God in that place in your life, I know he will take care of whatever he needs to take care of for the rest. Because that was huge for me. It was saying, God, I will love you with or without kids. I'll love you because I love you more than anything else on this earth. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be without you. So if it was about having kids and not having you, I'd rather have you. Because I got through everything I got through yeah. because of him. Mm -hmm. So I would never want to leave him. So that was my big realization. And I would tell whoever is, is, is just not in the cards, you know, whatever the case may be, that, that you put God in that place, that you love him so much that he becomes the one to fill the void of you not having a child mm -hmm. or the void of even you being, you know, single at an at a advanced stage and it just never planned out for you. Mm -hmm. um, and if that wasn't the case, that the door would just open for it to be maybe an adoption. Maybe you were called to be a blessing to someone who needs you, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I would have never thought that it was going to be such a blessing to bring Eli into our life. And then, holy moly, <laughs> the, the, the floodgates of heaven were yeah. open when we <laughs> decided to be a blessing for him. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was just life-changing, life-altering. But mm -hmm. that's what I would say. I'm Love God more than that. that. I'm going to build on that. So love God more. Mm -hmm. um, if you feel like you can't say that, ask for help. Lord, help me love you more. Yes. Um, and then another thing you mentioned is maybe consider other options. Yes. Consider other options yeah. for sure. And then, so what about the person who's like holding on to something God said? Like me, that's always like the very tender, delicate part of this conversation is when God says something multiple times in different ways. That that happened to me. So I'm going to um, be uh, transparent about my feelings in that, that moment. So you, you're in church. You're growing up in church. Especially if it's a charismatic type church. You're going to, oh, I had a dream that you had, you know, all these kids. <laughs> oh, sister, you're going to have a baby. I, I felt it. The Lord told me. And Oh, my God. Word after word. Promise after promise. Dream after dream. Okay, I endured that for 14 years at the point that the last two, three Mother's Days that um, were before Eli came, I just left. I would leave. I didn't want anyone to tell me anything anymore. Um, I became very indifferent to what people had to say, whether it was the Lord or not, who sent them to say it. I will be honest. I got to the point where I didn't care what they had to say. That's a, that's a, um, 
It's real. tough. It's real, though. It's how you feel. You're like, I don't want another person. And I told Carlos one day, I said, babe, I don't want another person to come tell me that I'm going to have a child because I think I'm just going to be nasty. Like, I'm just going to be downright old yeah. Tony and just be nasty. Like, just save your comment. I don't really want to hear anymore. Thank wow. you. Um, because it got to that point. I was like, Lord, everybody just tripping, you know? Tripping? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, God. They don't know how it makes me feel, me as a person going through it. But the biggest thing I said was... Sorry, really quick. That yes. reminds me of that story of, um, I forgot... The Shunammite woman that's like, mm. don't get my hopes up. Was it kind of like that? Don't yes. Get my hopes up. It was exactly that. It was, you know, I'm supposed to believe that I have this promise, but look how long it's been mm. and it hasn't happened. So I'm coming to the realization that I'm okay with it. Mm. I don't need you to tell me about your dream. Thank you very much. <laughs> Keep your dream to yourself. <laughs> At that point, you know, it's just yeah. like... Don't need it. Thank you. <laughs> um, my, my prayers at that moment was, Lord, I don't want any other voices but yours. Mm. I don't want to hear anybody else. I don't care what anyone else says. I don't care if it's prophet so-and-so from Africa. Mm. I, I don't care. I want you to talk to me. And that was when I really started getting into the word a lot. And I went to a theological seminary and I started studying the word and I fell in love with it. And that's where I feel like I started hearing God's voice through the Psalms, through, you know, Proverbs, through all those, those things that speak to everyday life. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt like he was talking to me through those stories. And I got into Anna and I got into Elizabeth and I got into the women in the Bible and I started studying. And I was just like, this is, this is, I just have to trust him trust him and put him first and follow whatever he tells me because I had gotten prophesied over a girl a thousand times yeah no but that's really big because I mean you said a couple things um but being able to separate like the word and the promise like the thing that you really want that he says you'll have but also finding some level of reassurance in his character and knowing who he is you said that was a big thing that was a big thing yeah. um do you feel like kind of diving into scripture helped you balance or did you feel like you had to let the promise go completely like was this like a no Isaac type situation yeah no i feel like i never let the promise go completely um, it was always there and I knew that he had spoken that over me and, and, and I would always, you know, bring that to remembrance. Like, um, like, um, lamentation says that you have to, you know, remember who he was. You have to bring it to the forefront of your memory. And so bringing that word, that promise to the forefront, and I would always bring it and I would always, you know, reference the women I had studied about and in my prayers. And I was Lord, like Anna, you know, you found favor in, in, in her and, and I want you to find that favor in me. And I would pray those types of things. But Praying if you scripture. don't, yes, yes, that is, that is really good. Yes. I would bring scripture people... into prayer. hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. That's really good. And I'm actually teaching my kids to do that. So I make my kids weekly. They have um, a chapter in the Bible that Carlos assigns to them. They have to write it down and they have to read it every day to us. 
And now when we put them to pray, they use the scripture that they have learned in their prayers. So they're starting already, one, to develop a love for the word, Mm -hmm. and then two, to understand that that word has power in prayer. Mm -hmm. And it gives you language. It gives them language. So you you should hear. I have videos of Eli preaching and all kinds of stuff. So very. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's it. I think that's everything guys thank you so much for listening tony thank you for coming thank you for inviting me uh if you guys have any questions for her in particular you can um send me a message through instagram or facebook let me know i'll forward them over to her put them in the description for sure and yeah we'll see you guys in the next one